So, if you know me at all, it will come as no surprise that I'm going to talk to you about worship this morning. Um, and if you've been around Hope Church for a little while, you'll know that one of our core sort of values, if you like, one of the things we prize and treasure is our worship. And I guess it's something that we haven't spoken about much from the front. We've talked on lots of things which impinge on our worship, but we've not really talked a great deal about worship itself. So this morning I want to try and um, unwrap a few bits and pieces and hopefully give you just a little bit of a deeper understanding of what it is we're doing together as we worship and also in our personal lives as well. And as a worship leader in this house and as very grateful to the leadership here who have given a real space for worship. Um, they've encouraged an environment where true, no-holds-barred worship um, is central to our existence, really. And they've been prepared to tolerate the kind of warts and imperfections that come in the style of worship that we have. Um, but knowing that we're coming into, into a place where we're creating space for God to come in, for the Holy Spirit to come and land among us, and just so blessed that we're able to kind of partner with those moments to steward what God does as he comes among us, rather than cutting across it and whatever. So I'd just love to be, I guess I can't say, salute the leadership here, who've been brave in pursuing that. So many places, worship has become warm up with the preacher or so many other things, and here it's so good to know that it's not that. It's for God and for him to come and land and be among us. So, so I, I guess when, when we talk about worship in the church, we often think initially about you know, what we do on a Sunday morning. But what we do on a Sunday morning really comes out of something in our personal lives. Um, and so I want to talk about three things this morning. I want to begin just by thinking about actually why is it that we worship? What's worship all about? I then want to talk a little bit about personal intimacy with God. Just in our um, worship this morning, we just come into that loving place of Him connecting with us and um, that closeness of Him. And so I want to talk a bit about that and how we can develop that in our lives. And then I'm going to come on at the end hopefully if time doesn't run out and talk a wee bit about pulpit worship as well. So I thought I'd begin actually by telling you a little bit of my story of worship. Because um, that'll probably give you a sense of my heart and where I've come from. Um, that, that helps us just to connect with what, what I'm going to say as well. So I, mean, I, I grew up in a Christian home something years ago now, and my parents were part of a Pentecostal church, my grandparents were also Pentecostal, my grandfather knew some of the kind of Pentecostal fathers and we were in a small group sort of listening to these guys. And so I came from that heritage and I'm so blessed that I had this family praying over my life. And I guess I made a, a kind of an early commitment to Christ, probably in my late, late primary years in the 10th crusade and put my hand up and responded in, in commitment, but it, I guess it wasn't until I was in my mid-teens and the late 70s when 
I really put that into uh, practice and I guess said, okay, God, this is it. We're going to go for it. And so it was an exciting time in the church. It was a time when God was really beginning to break out in a kind of charismatic movement that was in its infancy. And at the time, I played a bit of guitar, and naturally I kind of slid into being involved in worship right from the early days. I guess pretty simple stuff, but we were exploring something. being kind of moved by worship, thousands of people together, pouring their hearts out to God. It was at that time God began to introduce me to this whole idea of being saved and filled with the Spirit very soon after. And the, what was happening was really in, in the local Anglican church at the time. They had a Sunday evening meeting, a lot of Wednesday speakers coming, guys who quite prominent, I guess, in what was happening among the charismatic movement. And I remember God just breaking out again and again, being completely splattered in the spirit on the altar and behind the altar in this Anglican church, being carried to the car before I could afford to leave. But in those times, there was this just sense of encounter with God, people kind of gripping me, something in my life that has never let go I've just been incredibly blessed to be with uh, worship leaders who exemplify uh, what it was to lead God's people in worship, who carried this thing with such reverent hearts and through deep advice that I've had. There were a lot of guys who were kind of prominent as worship leaders, Larry Kendall, Dave Wilbur at various points. It was just a real privilege to have these guys just rip wee bits and pieces in, into me as I started to play. And God continued to encounter me through that time. And particularly in the early 90s, I guess I began to write an adolescent. God, again, broke out, I guess, in a similar way what we, we, to what we're seeing now. Just real joy in the spirit and um, crazy drunken times. It, it was just amazing. Um, but I think the church in the UK, we were too British is the honest truth, and we stepped back, and we never really stepped into the fullness of all that God had for us at that time in our own church, and I'm so glad that God's got a second chance, and um, so it, it's just good to be part of this church, part of connected churches who pursue uh, God's presence, who uh, have this just real desire to see God break out and God's kingdom established for us to influence the world around us. And as I've said, so worship is really core to what we do. And I've heard it said many times that worship, this modern worship is self-indulgent, it's inward-looking, it's all kinds of different things. But I don't believe that's true. I believe that worship is our highest calling. And I'm not alone in that. Go back into the 1600s, there's a thing called the Westminster Greater Catechism, which was kind of a declaration of faith. And in that it asked, what's the chief and highest end of man? And the resounding response is to glorify.
glorify God and fully enjoy him forever. Doesn't that just blow you away? That's 400 years ago, these guys have picked up on this thing. This is what God has created us for, to glorify him and fully enjoy him forever. It says in Ephesians 1, verse 11 and 12, in him we were chosen, having been predestined, according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were first to put our hope in Christ, might be the praise of his glory. And that's that verb, we're the praise of his glory. We're chosen to glorify God first and foremost. And so that's why I love so much being part of this family where we prize that high calling. Ecclesiastes 3 tells us that we set eternity in the hearts of men. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, it blows me away every time I read it. We're designed with this kind of inbuilt holy thinking for the eternal realms. There's something that's inside of us that's calibrated to a heavenly place in heaven. And when we don't know God, actually this leaves us feeling frustrated and empty and searching for something to connect to that actually fulfills that longing. But when we do connect with God, when we tune into that heavenly thinking, when we find that depth of encounter, connection with God, the world will delight in his presence. It's what we're created for, church. And Jesus also taught us that worship's a priority. In the Lord's Prayer, he's telling us how to pray, and he starts out, our Father in heaven, recognizing that it's of worship God is what comes first. So above all other things, we need to prioritize worship. It goes on down the list, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our sins. These are all secondary to us giving our hearts to him in worship. I want to read you from the excerpt from a book which really shaped my life on worship that by a guy called A.W. Tozer, it's called Worship Misendued in the Evangelical Church. It's only about 25, 30 pages long, tiny wee book, but this guy knew what it was to worship. He was really a prophetic guy, pulled something um, really into a time when there was not much of this happening. He ministered in the 40s, 50s, early 60s. I later discovered he actually died on the day I was born. But I remember as a young Christian hearing a guy called Alan Redpath, who some of you may have heard of, who was a, a, a great teacher, um, part of what's, I guess, referred to as the holiness movement. Um, just a really reverent guy. He really impacted my heart. But he told a story of meeting Tozer. He was over in the States and he was visiting with his church, I think. And Tozer invited him to go and pray with him in the morning down by the lake where they were staying. So he arrived at the time when Tozer had said, he got there, and Tozer was already there on his knees in worship. And Alan Redpath said he was just completely unable to go and join him. There was such a sense of the presence of God. He was just transfixed like Moses in the burning bush. He had that sense of the, the holy place and the holy moment. So there are some things in Tozer's teaching that comes to worship and knowing God is quite good, I'm sure you 
so so I just want to read he, he you know talk wants defining worship he says I want to define worship and here I want to be dogmatic worship means to feel in the heart that's first feel it in the heart now I happen to belong to a segment of the Church of Christ on earth that's not afraid of the word feel we went through a long deep freeze period at the turn of the century where people talked about naked faith. They wanted to hang us out there like raccoon skin drying in the wind. And so they said, now, don't believe in feeling, but act as if you believe. The only man who went by feeling was led astray. That was Isaac, told Jacob's arms would be around his side. But they forgot the woman who felt in her body that she was feeling. Remember, a person that merely goes through the form and doesn't feel anything is not worshipped. Worship also means to express in some appropriate manner what you feel. Now, expressing in some appropriate manner doesn't mean that we will always express it in the same way all the time. That's what I want to break free into this message this service. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It's your own personal response to God. Okay, so it doesn't mean that you'll always express your worship in the same manner, but it does mean that it will be expressed in some way. What will be expressed? A humbling, but delightful sense of admiring and astonished worship. It's delightful to worship God, but it's also a humbling thing. A man who's never been humbled in the presence of God will never be a worshipper of God. Yeah. I love this man who just has this reverence for God. Clearly, he's, he's drawing on something. So worship is something for us to experience and express, to give glory to an awesome God and a loving Father. And scripture backs us up on this as well, so it just poses uh, to thinking and writing. In John 4.23, verses that we really know very well, Jesus said, Yet a time is coming as now come when true worshippers will worship in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers that God seeks. Worship is a spiritual activity, first and foremost. It's something that connects our spirits with the spirit of God. But I want to home in just briefly on the word truth here, because I've heard it taught a lot that this truth is about uh, what we know and doing the right thing and saying the right thing. But actually the word truth here is not about head knowledge, but about experiential truth. So we worship in our spirit spirit and our spirit connects with the Holy Spirit and that results in our experiencing God. That's, to me, in my world, that's just brilliant. And also notice that the Father isn't seeking worship, but he's seeking worshippers. It's us that he's after. He's about relationship, he's about connection. It's not an empty act of worship done because we grudgingly feel that he deserves it and we're worthy of it. It's something that comes out of heart connection. personal intimacy. So right from the beginning, God's purpose was for intimacy with man. With Adam and Eve, you can come and glean with me, walk, walk with him in the garden in the evening. And even after the fall came, the fall uh, occurred, he still sought them out. But they hid with guilt, fear and shame overtaking them. And the relationship between God and man, 
as we look through the Old Testament, there are some guys who still make this connection. And we have Abraham, who is described as a friend of God and had that face-to-face relationship with God. We read about Moses, who met God face-to-face at Sinai and went up on the, on the mountain and worshipped in the cloud and came down. His face was shining with the glory of God. And we see David, I guess, really our prototypical worshipper this intimate relationship as a shepherd on the hillside, learning just to have fellowship with God and to know his protection and his closeness there. Um, and he was a remarkable man. He prophetically pulled something of Peter's New Testament version, New Covenant version into Old Testament times. The tabernacle is a picture really of, of worship for us. It's one of the reasons I think why there isn't actually a great deal about worship in the Testament in the different times. But these guys weren't the norm. There was a separation, there was a need for blood sacrifice. And it wasn't really until Jesus came that that problem was dealt with. That separation uh, was dealt with. And the possibility of intimacy with the Father was dealt with. But intimacy doesn't just happen. Like all relationships, it sometimes takes time and effort and investment. I married Lydia 31 years ago, but the day we got married, it didn't signal the final level of our intimacy. We shared life together for more than three decades. We raised a family together. We faced cancer together. We rejoiced to see that the kids had flourished. We faced all kinds of situations together. And we're so much more deeply connected than we were the day we got married. And the same in the relationship with God and the Father. Bill Johnson talks about making our own personal history with God. He's talking about this intimacy, being drawn closely with him, sharing life's journey with him, turning our affections to him, developing that depth of effective relationship with him. And it isn't something that happens instantly, it's something we invest in. It's something we make the choice to pursue. history of God that we develop as we history with God that we develop as we acknowledge him in all the things we do is like anchor for us in our life it, it keeps us grounded it keeps us safe it keeps us in that tender place with him <coughs> so it's like the deposit in the bank of heaven if you like it's, it's our investment in that relationship and so this is kind of we need to develop this lifestyle of worship involving God in what we do, acknowledging God in all the things we do. So, what does this look like? Well, I've got five headings. The first one is that true worship is all about relationships. I've kind of touched on this already. In John's Gospel, Jesus says that we worship him in faith. It's not some distant, far-off God. Um, I think it's the Samaritan woman at the well, but we worship him had a great deal of teaching over the past few years on our father-son relationship with God, our prodigal son and father who loves unconditionally. That's no accident. That really underpins so much of our worship. We need to understand and grasp and allow God just to drill that into our spirits 
clear that intimacy with God is the key starting point for that worship. And even the Greek word in the New Testament used for worship means a kiss, intimacy. So it's about affection, it's about intimacy. And if we consistently turn our affections to God, he will manifest himself to us. Peter, 1 Peter 5 says, if you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. We just need to be constant in that. In our day-to-day life, drawing near to him. When we get up, when we go to sleep, when we go for coffee, when we go to work, whatever it is, just involving him in every area of our life. And that's that's how we begin to develop that intimacy with him. The second thing is that we worship with intention. Intentionality is a word we hear a great deal in our circles. Basically, it means doing something on purpose, not just drifting along and hoping for something to happen. Uh, It's certainly true in the sphere of worship, whether we're worship leaders, whether we're whoever we are, that we need to um, make good choices to worship God and we have to be ready ourselves, put ourselves in the place where God can come to learn the, to give offerings and worship both in adversity and in the face of success. I think we're often our most vulnerable when we're successful. Um, but Elijah in the Old Testament, it's an amazing showdown with the prophets of Baal, victory, God sends down fire, all the rest of it. And the next thing he knows, he's out in the desert, depressed, God, what's going on? Everybody hates me. Um, and so we need to be acknowledging God, both in the success and the failure of our lives. So making a history with God requires discipline sometimes. It's not a slavish, I've got to do this. There's something to be accountable to God. We need to be rooted in him. Worship is pursuit of God and his presence. Now, true worship is also costly at times. It doesn't come cheaply. There's a personal cost to pursuing God. story in 2 Samuel 24 about David. Israel's in the middle of this plague and so on. It's, it's not looking good. And the prophet says to David, go and build an altar to the Lord. And so this guy's threshing the corn. So 
David goes to him and says, can I buy you fresh air? And we know that he's dying. He says, no, you can have it for nothing. Off you go. You use it. But David replies to him, no, I insist on paying you. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my gift, both my gifts and testimony. And I think we have a very throwaway culture. Words culture. I think when we're worshipping, let's not be people who just throw our words away cheaply. Let's um, give something that's precious. Let's give something that costs our hearts to the Lord. For David was aware that he needed to give something to pay for it. And again in John 12, verses 1 to 7, again we see 